I wasn't really used to failing that much <laughs> at that point. I was a high achiever and kind of really hadn't experienced that kind of failure. But yeah, you have to obviously to make money as a ballerina, you have to be incredible. And I just wasn't quite good enough. I was working for all of these brands. So Gucci Group at the time, you mentioned some of them. There was like nine brands in the group. And I was responsible for looking after the UK across all those brands. As much as possible, as a people team, you have to get all of that stuff really, really excellent. Because then getting buy-in for any number of initiatives or projects which you know are going to help the people, which ultimately is going to help the business. And welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. to another episode of Everyday Leadership and today's, today's a bit of a first for me <laughs> to be honest um, but I, I have an amazing guest as someone who has spent two decades plus working in HR for some amazing brands Alexander McQueen you might have heard of Stella McCartney St. Laurent loads more in um, that caring luxury like former Gucci group kind of brand. Um, she's currently the, she's been the chief people officer at Dr. Barbara Strum. And she's someone who, when you talk about, I'm going to say resetting or changing the way that HR has done, I'm really, really focusing about the people, um, sustainable change. She, she speaks to that. She does a lot of work in that field. That's what her purpose is. And she does that as the founder of the Nature Consulting Limited. Um, and she's someone I've got to know over the last couple of years and I have Abigail Wilmore in the building. How are you doing? <laughs> what an intro. Um, I'm good. I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here having a conversation with you. Hey, the intro, the intro is just you. The intro is just like a small summary of, of what you've done over the last however long. It's been a while you've been in, you've been in the game. So I'm just, I'm just telling the truth. That's all it is. Yeah, it's weird to have it, you know, projected back to you, some of your, the things that you've done in your life and career. But yeah, it's good. Good to hear. <laughs> and if we were to go back to the place I always like to start, a younger you, uh, let's never say before teenage, just go to like an eight-year-old Abigail. What was she like and what did, what did she want to do in life at that point in time? She was quite rebellious, actually, even from an early age. I had the most amazing childhood, really wonderful household full of love, I will say. That's the way I look back on it when I'm talking with my sister or my mum and dad. Um, it was a really amazing childhood in some ways because it was quite unconventional because my mum went out to work um, and my dad stayed at home to bring my sister and me up and did all the kind of traditionally female roles, including doing our hair for ballet and all the kind of cooking and cleaning and washing up and everything. Um, so that gave me a lot, actually, 
my mum, I mean, it was the seventies and eighties that I grew up in. So in those times, that was really quite unusual. Um, but having that kind of mother that her career was basically paying more than, than my dad's, my mum's uh, was an artist and um, makeup artist in the film industry. My dad was a mathematician and, and teacher at the time. So she just earned a lot more than him. And so, you know, but having that, that kind of role model in that mother that had a lot of drive and passion for her career. And then a father who was very, very humble and very kind of welcomed this role where he could be close to his daughters. That's the kind of environment I grew up in, but they always pushed my sister and I to be ourselves and, and, um, speak up for the things that we believed in that's kind of we always had I remember a lot of conversations about all kinds of topics that was our that was our kind of household (laughs) you know the dinners or lunches or meals that we would have together we'd always be discussing things so yeah quite a rebel and quite strong-minded um about lots of different things particularly animals at the time and becoming vegetarian was quite a defining moment in my my life and has you know helped me to connect with with other human beings I think as well and then just nature generally but yeah quite headstrong it's quite interesting listening um to you having your mum as the role model flipping that whole traditional way of working on his head and how even seeing that made you, I guess, for me, I'm getting that vibe of part of that headstrongness and that go after what you want kind of came from being in that environment of, well, we can do things differently. We don't always have to do things the way other people have done them, which I guess came from your parents. Yeah, I guess I didn't even recognize it at the time because when you're that young, it's just your normal. Although we knew, especially going to ballet, which we did a lot because I really wanted to grow up and be a ballerina. So I was practicing and going to classes with my sister as well, like three, four times a week. But um, then we kind of recognized that this is different because all the ballet mums would fuss over my dad (laughs) and, you know, tell him how amazing it was that he was the one. (laughs) So that's where we kind of recognized it. But otherwise, yeah, it just felt like the norm for us. But, yeah, it was quite untraditional. So when did that love for ballet shift into fashion? <laughs> Long time. Um, although I say that my grandmother on my mum's side was very into fashion. So I always had a love of beautiful clothes, vintage kind of styles and things from my grandmother, um, who also helped to bring my sister and I up Um because my mum was away a lot. Um, But, yeah, I knew I wasn't going to be a ballerina when I was probably around 16. But up until that point, that is really all I lived and breathed. I was good at school, but, you know, and I had lots of other passions around creativity and, and writing. But ballet was, and dance generally, especially contemporary dance, was my was my love. Um, but yeah, I realized I wasn't going to be a ballerina when I failed my first exam, which I remember distinctly my dance teacher coming around to our house and informing 
us all. My mum and dad, I think, were both there at the time and my sister and me, um, that I had failed my first exam, which was which was a huge blow because I I wasn't really used to failing that much <laughs> at that point. I was a high achiever and kind of really hadn't experienced that kind of um, failure. But, yeah, you have to obviously, to make money as a ballerina, you have to be incredible, and I just wasn't quite good enough. So I, I didn't know what I wanted to do at that point. I really had no other driving force behind you know what I wanted to do and that kind of continued really um for the next couple of years I just did my I just finished my GCSEs probably and was going into A-levels found partying and um kind of rave music (laughs) and took maybe a more social path for a few years um and not being a kind of A-grade student anymore so I just didn't have much of a direction, I would say, but I just fell into things um, with my mother having this creative side, my father having this more more scientific, philosophical, mathematical brain. Um, I had more creative pursuits, um, like I said, but I, I decided to go into retail. So I started on the shop floor. I didn't go to university, I think much to my parents' dismay (laughs) Um, but I just wanted to earn money and I wanted to start something so I started my career on the shop floor working for Estee Lauder um, as a makeup artist and selling the cosmetics it was a great experience if I'm honest I really enjoyed a lot about being on the shop floor being in an environment of luxury (laughs) it's probably where that part of my career maybe maybe started being in a perfumery there's just something about the smell of walking into a department store in the perfumery that can be overpowering and a bit overwhelming but also I don't know it's like a different world so I did really enjoy that but my main my main thing in the beginning of my career was to earn money so I could go out partying (laughs) and you know go out the weekend and just enjoy my life and have fun <laughs> so I didn't really have much of a you know a thought process behind having a career at that point I think a lot of times there's a lot of pressure that's put on young people in particular that says you need to have everything all figured out by a particular age if not your life's basically gonna not work out for you but actually we're gonna come into what you've done later on but listen to you be like actually you know what I've got a job you know I want to earn money I wanted to enjoy life there's nothing wrong with that. And that for me, I think is quite freeing as well, because sometimes you need to be able to be like, that's, I don't, I don't have the plan, but right now what I'm doing, I'm, I'm enjoying it and that's okay. And once I've come out of that phase, I'll go into the next one, but it's okay just to keep it moving forward. It's okay not to have it all completely scripted or going down the path that you think your parents want you to. Yeah, I think so. I possibly didn't see that at the time as as that but definitely in hindsight you can see it <laughs> um also because my sister so my sister and me laugh about this now but you know she always saw me as this sort of glamorous working person and I always saw her as following that path you know she went to uni in fact first she went on a on a year 
trip around the world and then she went to uni and so so there was always that that kind of sense of you know one of their daughters is doing it <laughs> I always felt like the rebellious you know daughter who hadn't hadn't followed their path but to but I I liked that I liked to, to carve my own way I suppose and Actually, being on the shop floor as well teaches you so much about other people and about yourself. You know, you're dealing with with customers and, and different kinds of people all the time and having to think on your feet and probably taught me a lot of skills that, you know, helped me along the way. Did you find it hard when you were on the shop floor? Because I've been on the shop floor with customers and some clients are just... You just <laughs> I'm trying to find the right the right words to be able to use, but it is not they're not easy to deal with sometimes. And some and especially working in somewhere like Esther Lorde, there is a level of entitlement that sometimes certain clients might have in the way that they, they speak to you, in the way that they approach you. And you talked about some of the skills that you learned in that period of time. I'm curious, like what were they that helped you that's over the years, if you go back? I think it's probably around just, I mean, yeah, there were definitely some difficult customers for sure. And like learning how to shake that off and not be affected by, by it, especially as I was working in stores, which, yeah, there were certain types of people that would come into those stores like Harvey Nichols and Selfridges um, that wouldn't necessarily treat you as an equal. So that was a bit, bit tough, I'm sure. Um, but I think you just learn to yeah, brush it off. Um, but I think you also learn the skill of accepting others in a way and just, you know, trying to, I mean, the customer comes first. That is what you're taught in whichever store you were working in and whichever brand actually that the customer comes first. But there's definitely humility and you know, diplomacy um, and and ways of communicating and, and kind of reaching people. Because actually a lot of the time customers were coming to Estee Lauder about, you know, something that they wanted to improve about themselves, be it makeup or skincare or whatever. Um, so that's quite a, an intimate place to be in a way. And so doing someone's makeup you know, you have to be close with them and there's something that you will always learn about that person um, in that short time that you're with them. So, yeah, I've not been asked that question before, but I think it's probably about how to communicate really well with all different types of people. It was interesting when I hear you say that and then I think about your career in HR. It's like there's a the love for people and see people was that where a lot of that was birthed yes definitely um it was it was the people aspect of what I was doing that fascinated me and the even even within the team that I was working in I knew it was that side rather than the I mean I did love the the creativity that you can have with with makeup as well um but it was more the teamwork, you know, the camaraderie, the the management eventually of, of other team members and, and why people, you know, what's the psychology behind why people want to come in and 
work in one way or another way. Um, and then, yeah, the relationship building with customers it probably was the, the kind of beginning of how I knew what I wanted to to do. Although it still was a couple of quite a few years really before I really knew that human resources was my was my area. You're talking about your how you got into you went back to studying. Yeah, so I went back to studying. There's a few jobs in between, <laughs> trying things out in different kinds of organizations, um, which I needed to do as well. Um, but I sort of fell into human resources is how I, is how I see it, which is, I think at the time human resources was called personnel and was just really about administration, transactional services for people in a company. Um, yeah, so I went back to study human resources because I could see that that is an interest, um, that was, that was growing and I thought it would be really helpful to my, understanding but also my confidence um to to study so i actually went to enroll um in an undergraduate program in a bachelor's degree because i didn't have a degree um and i had spent about two or three hours getting to the front of this queue and then i got to the front and she said this is the postgraduate <laughs> diploma not the bachelor's degree but she started talking to me about how much experience I already had and by then I had a couple of years already in human resources and she said why don't you just try the postgraduate diploma and see and you can always you know change courses if it's if if, you, if it's too difficult so I started the postgrad diploma it took me four years at evening school this is um but I managed to get my master's degree in human resource management which was a massive thing for me huge um and just the sort of like going through the studying was huge but also achieving that was really huge and yeah still to this day I'm one of the only people I know who has a master's degree without having a bachelor's degree but it was a, a again an untraditional wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, then my career really started to take off when I'd already, as I said, done a few years in human resources in different kinds of companies. Um, I'd worked at a property, luxury property company, and then I got this call from Gucci, um, Gucci Group, to come and be the HR manager. That was back in 2006. Um, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. How can you go from... Getting just the call, like they called you out of the blue randomly. Like, what was where did where did it come from? I mean, I had my CV with some agencies, probably, or some. You know, when you put your CV out there on some job sites, then they they never come back down again. So, and I think when agents are looking, they're you know they they're obviously doing skill searches, and my CV had come up. So I know that sounds like luck and timing, um, but. They must have been looking for someone who had some luxury experience, which I already had from Estee Lauder and Knight Frank, um, you know, and they must have been looking for someone with human resources experience, obviously. So um, I did, it did feel like a call out the blue. <laughs> However, um, you know, I, I take it that, that it was about the experience that I already had um, as to why they called me. But of course, when you get a call like that, 
you're going to go for it. Um, so I, I remember talking to my friends at the time about it and what am I going to wear? And, and this is Gucci group and, you know, what am I going to, how am I even going to, I don't know, put myself across in the right way. Um, but the interview was with a really scary, <laughs> but wonderful woman, um, two people actually, but one in particular. Um, and yeah, they, they were, they asked some really tough questions. Um, and then they asked me about clothes and like what brands I liked. So after all the kind of skills based, you know, can you do this job? They, they wanted to ask me about the type of brands that I liked and my mind just went completely blank. And I thought, well, I don't have the money to buy, you know, Dolce & Gabbana or Gucci or Saleron brands right now. So what am I going to say? And what came out was at the time, which is now sadly not even a store anymore, but what came out was Topshop <laughs> and the vintage clothes of my grandmother. So I really love vintage clothing. Um, yeah, didn't think I'd got the job. Um, not because of that answer, but just, just, you know, when you can't tell how you've done in an interview, I thought it had gone well, but you, you just don't know. Um, and then I went back again. I got called back for a second interview. And at that point I had researched as well, the person that I was going back to see and, and she was American. And I know in America, <laughs> generalization here, but you know, selling yourself is the thing to do. So I went into the second interview and just told her at the end that I really want this job. I really want this job. Um, and she sort of gave me this, this knowing smile. Um, and then I got the job. So that is, you know, the, that's, that's kind of the beginning of where my career started to become super exciting and so much more interesting because I was working for all of these brands. So Gucci group at the time, you mentioned some of them, there was like nine brands in the group and I was responsible for looking after the, the UK across all those brands. So then my kind of interest in why, you know, certain people are drawn to working for certain cultures or, or um, certain people even um, was, I was able to, you know, expand upon that and really go more deeply into what makes a brand and what are the right set of ingredients for a company's environment or culture that attracts certain brands to certain places. Um, so very quickly I got promoted actually because my, my boss um, also got a promotion to being um, a president of another brand in a different country. So I became very young <laughs> um, executive at Gucci Group, which is such a huge title that I even, I even find it quite, you know, it sort of feels like I'm talking about someone else in a way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was thrown into this new world again. This was within about two years of having this job where I was amongst the like top 300 people of Gucci Group at the time, which then became Kering. Um, where where you would be invited to these incredible conferences and you'd have to talk about leadership and your style of leadership and and I had really no no idea at that time but it was an amazing experience of being thrown into these different kinds of scenarios and having to having to bring your best game 
um, without really knowing necessarily that much at that point about leadership. Um, although I have to say that I think leadership came quite naturally. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to, which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. Naturally to me, um, in terms of like building a team and playing to people's strengths and getting to know the real person within my own team. Um, but yeah, I do remember many, many years I had one like person at work who was my person and we, we both used to feel the same. Like we literally could not believe that we were in this most incredible environment and this most amazing jobs. And we would, we would just sometimes just hold hands in the lift and just say, we are just so lucky. And we, we really recognize that this is just the most incredible journey that we're we're on um so there were many many kind of moments along the way of course I was there for a really long time um but probably the again the 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 kind my role deepened and expanded when I got the opportunity to become a lot more involved with Stella McCartney and Alexander McQueen because they were the two British brands so they had headquarters in London and I would be working directly with the CEOs of those brands. And as they grew, my role grew as they became global. My role became global. Um, and again, I just felt so, so lucky really to be a part of such incredible brands and see, see that growth. And, and they were, they are, two very different brands from a culture perspective and from a, you know, what they stand for. Um, and then it was, it was really a joy to be able to help to shape the culture and, you know, help those brands to, and and the people within those brands to really grow in the way that they wanted to and to kind of connect all the dots um, because in human resources, which I actually hate that word, human resources, um, people function, um, you know, it is about, for me anyway, it is about helping people to flourish and thrive when things are often challenging and difficult. Um mm-hmm. And especially in creative companies where you have to continually come up with new ideas and, and that's what, you know, those two businesses were about. Um, always coming up with, with the next um, thing that's going to be fashionable, whatever that is. It's not, it's not an easy place to be for a lot of people continually bearing your soul um to be kind of you know judged by the sales of of the brands um in all the 
stores. So yeah, it presented a lot of very interesting challenges when it comes to actually the individual people that would work there. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to, which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. What's some of the lessons, I guess, that you learned in that period of time, especially working with multiple brands, multiple cultures, and therefore that means you're bringing in different people in. So some of the, what were some of those key lessons you learned about what it takes to build or create a great culture that people can actually thrive in? I think for me, I think I knew very early on in my HR career that I was I really didn't believe in the kind of policing, policy-driven structure um, of of HR that had been around for so many decades. Um, and on top of that, you know, there has been a huge shift in in the employee voice becoming so much louder. And I think it took a long time for me to recognise or understand like how to change that how to rip up the rule book how to create a really human human-centered company um but ultimately it is about listening to what people want you know and just shifting the lens that marketing often uses on its customer on the you know customer that's buying into the brands the consumer, um, and using that lens on the people that work inside the company. Um, and there wasn't the platforms at the time that we have today to really listen to people uh, regularly. Like now there's some brilliant platforms to be able to do that. But it was for me about being very present and speaking to people all the times and not just being that HR team that were behind the scenes and at the end of the phone or at the end of an email, um, but actually present in in the brand and listening to people and pulling out the themes and then trying to get buy-in for whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and I, I think I learned very quickly as well that you absolutely have to have your baseline excellent like all of your admin, all of your processes, you know, if you don't have that and someone gets a letter with the wrong salary or whatever, then you have no credibility at all. Um, and that was a really good lesson. And I, I learned it a few times along the way um, of doing, you know, things and then messing up. Um, but as much as possible as a, as a people team, you have to get all of that stuff really, really excellent because then getting buy-in for whatever it is that you want to do and kind of trying to portray the feeling in the company or the themes that are coming up in a way that isn't wishy-washy and isn't just fluffy 
um, it's not easy to do. So if you have that great baseline, then you're much more credible in how you can go to your CEO or other people that you need to get buy-in from for any number of initiatives or projects which you know are going to help the people, which ultimately is going to help the business. And so, yeah, that's uh, it's not an easy set of um, information. Um, it's become easier because there's so much more data now. We have so many different ways to collect data. So it's, it's easier to kind of tell that story through data than it's ever been before, which is great. It's been a huge game changer for the entire the entirety of human resources. Um, but there wasn't that at the time. So I think you asked me what I learned. <laughs> and I learned to be trusting in what I can see in a company and that it isn't fluffy, <laughs> for want of a better word, to talk about the health of the organization or the health of a certain team. Um, this wasn't the language, you know, that there is today as well. Um, because yeah, well-being at work has thankfully become, you know, one of the most critical things that, that we can do as a, as a, well, as businesses generally, but certainly in the people team. Um, but yeah, back then it was, it was, definitely learning to trust that this, I know that this is going to help and, and, and then becoming a good storyteller, ultimately, um, becoming confident to step into, you know, any kind of environment. And as I said, lots of them are quite scary environments, um, in terms of, um, I don't know, in terms of like big, big C-suite uh, people in the room or, or, you know, it was owned by a group. So having having to present your story and your reasons for why you want to um, do things is, it, I think I probably suffered from imposter syndrome <laughs> quite a bit. So learning how to get over imposter syndrome as well was probably, which I'm still doing today, um, was was the way that I managed to be in those rooms. And, you know, sometimes I would be in those rooms where there's like top, top people. And I would think beforehand, I'd thought, I'm really anxious and nervous. And what's it going to be like? And am I going to say the wrong thing? And then I'd get into the room and I'd think, is this it? Like, this is really what they're talking about. And I would always be sort of, I don't know, there was some mysti mystical you know, thing that I would never be able to actually do. And then you get there and you're like, oh gosh, they're just talking about such normal, such normal things. Um, and so that was quite a big learning for me too. I think it's, um, cause when I listened to you talked about how excited you and your friend were around working with your group and all, all of that kind of stuff. And you were learning as you go along. It's quite interesting when I hear you say it around. You don't have to go and do these presentations and you're, you're anxious, but it's like, Oh, is that it? Once you've done it. So that is something around. We can overthink stuff so many times. And a lot of times it's just about just being able to step into it. And when we step into that, we realize oh, it wasn't that bad at all. Cause a lot of the learning that's come on across your journey. Like you said, it wasn't like, Oh, I've done this before. I've done that before. It's like, okay, this is in front of me. We need to figure it out. But you had a grounding in what was important to you. And 
I've heard you um, use the phrase in the past. Um, we've talked about how you're you're tired of you know, like phrase HR, for example. You're tired of the outdated HR rules and the way things are done. How does that frustration then, I guess, tie in with what you're doing now with with your company? I think it's about now wanting to bring everything that I've learned in all of these incredible brands. And obviously then I went into Stella McCartney and stayed there for a really long time, um, seven or eight years, just fully devoted to Stella McCartney. Um, but now it's about me wanting to bring, yeah, all these, all these, these things that I've learned and what's gone wrong, what, what worked, you know, what, what really helped people. Um, what really helped a, a company to a much wider audience, you know, to working with all kinds of different organizations. And I know that there's so much to do out there. And, um, and so having that, you know, freedom for me to choose the kinds of businesses that I would like to work for as well, um, which which isn't actually always purpose-led organizations or creative or luxury at all, which I thought maybe it might be when I was thinking about what business I wanted to build. Because it's actually the other types of businesses that are not maybe as purpose-driven that potentially need more support and more more help in redefining things for their people. Um, And then I think, you know, the pandemic has just propelled so many, so many things forward um, that were already happening, um, but at a much slower pace around mental health, around equity, diversity, and inclusion, around wellness, and just the connection between you know performance of people and, and belonging and, and staying with a company. Um, and their their mental health and their their way of interacting with that company and the experience that they're having, all of those things have like been 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 propelled forward. And so that's that's why I also felt very strongly that I wanted to build my own business in helping to bring some of those more human centered ways of doing things to a wider set of businesses. What was it like? Um leaving that world, I want to say that world, that luxury world in a sense, behind and going out on your own because those are some main like big brands behind you, which is great from an experience perspective, is great from a name perspective. But I know one thing I've always talked about is around the identity that we can also have attached to being part of such a big name, big brand. So what was that like for you, that separation? I mean, I definitely missed the discount <laughs> and the fashion. Um, it was actually, it's hard. And it was hard because, as you said, so much of one's identity is tied up with the job that they do in the end, especially when you're at one place for such a long time. And so with some key mentors and supporters, you know, I'm really a massive 
massive advocate for finding as many people that can help you through a transitional moment in your life um, as possible. Um, I learned how to be brave, I suppose, and just, you know, that my identity isn't tied with with any brand or, or company or industry um, and just being much more clear and intentional about what it is that I am bringing to the table and what I want to bring to the world. <laughs> um, but, yes, it's taken a lot of self-reflection and thinking and, as I said, support from different people, including yourself, um, to to get there and I'm still I'm still working on it I'm still you know carving out what it is that I want to say about my business and what it is that I'm you know pitching in <laughs> to different clients that I'm working with and and I think it changes and evolves and that's the beauty of of the place that I'm in right now and and for anyone who has their own their own business it is a it is a an ever-evolving thing I I, I believe when you um, describe that, and then I go back to your earlier, earlier statement and you use the words like heart-centered leadership, um, what does that mean to you? What is, like, what is heart-centered leadership? I think that in everything that I've seen in any company, people want to be seen and heard and valued. And I think that heart-centered leadership um, is about being a leader that is going to do those things, is going to really hear people, recognise people and make them feel valued. And ultimately that is a a cycle that continues to generate, you know, more um, for a business, more for a team, more for an individual. So I think that's the <clears throat> that's the the theory behind it, but also the mission for I hope many more leaders now who are leading with words like love and empathy and integrity, which never was the case before. You know, those things were seen as soft skills, and you know there is no such thing we we know now. <laughs> soft skills are the skills to have as a as a leader today and um showing your heart um to your team is is like it's critical it's a critical part of being a leader and gaining trust gaining respect building relationships do you see that happening in different generations or is it just a change generally in the environment i think it's slower in older generations I'm afraid to say well just because we've lived through more of the work working world that hasn't been like that and so still many times today I hear well we didn't have to do it like that and you know especially when it comes to you know new people who are starting out in their career we might have been expected to do photocopying and make coffee for the first, you know, year of your employment. But that isn't that isn't the case anymore, and that certainly isn't what 
younger generations are going to stand for. In fact, now, you know, the expectation on companies is, is huge in terms of what young people are expecting. Um, so I think, yeah, people coming into the work world now and Gen Z, younger millennials, it makes sense that empathy and just being more human ultimately is is the right thing to do and is becoming the only thing to do. Otherwise, you're going to lose you lose your people. Um, but I think it's taking more time for us all to shift into into seeing that. Um, again, I do think the pandemic provided, if there are silver linings that have come from it, which there definitely are, one of them was that you kind of thrown into this place as a leader where you just had no other options other than to be, you know, connecting with your people on a different level than you were before. Um, so I think we've all learned, you know, that that works, um, even though we've got all, you know, a lot of other contexts happening with people moving, moving around and the great resignation that's I can't even remember what the next term is now after the great resignation. There's something else that's replaced it, but I can't remember what it is. But anyway, all this other context, but I think I think it's going to become more and more and more necessary, um, which is good, which is such a good thing. It's so great. I'm, I feel so um, inspired by the fact that this is a – is we're not going to be able to go back. Like there's so many things in the world right now to feel, to feel devastated by politically. Live your quotes. That's the name of the newsletter that you need to subscribe to. Go on www.everydayleadership.co.uk. Subscribe to live your quotes. It's a bi-weekly newsletter that comes out with a quote with some information on how I'm looking at that quote, how that relates to my life to make it more real and authentic and come alive for you. As well as bits and pieces of maybe books I'm reading and maybe some other content I'm tapping into and some bits and pieces around the podcast. It's a nice, short, succinct newsletter, which I know you're going to enjoy. But to enjoy it, you need to subscribe to it. So again, if you go to the podcast website, www.everydayleadershippodcast.co.uk, you'll be able to get access to Leave Your Cult newsletter. Now let's get back into the episode. Economically, environmentally, socially, like there's so many things, but there are also some really positive movements and shifts that are happening on the more human side. And the world of work, I think, is definitely one of them. I'm happy to be a part of it and helping to be a driving force in it. This podcast is sponsored by Mindset Shift, a leadership development company focused on helping you lead from the inside out, not from the outside in. We work one-on-one with senior leaders in organizations. We work directly with HR and the parts of the organizations to help you create an authentic culture where your words and your values and your actions all align. We help you to navigate the complexity and the chaos that we'll experience day in and day out. And we have a couple of openings for the one-to-one culture this year. If that's something that you're interested in, if you want to work with a coach, who can help you navigate this year to ensure that you're intentional, 
to take your leadership skills personally and professionally to the next level. Send me an email at hello at mindsetshift.co.uk or just go to website www.mindsetshift.co.uk. Now let's get back into today's episode. What in the work that you're doing through um, Nature Consultant, what would you want to see happen? What would you want to see change going forward? I would want to see there's so many things. Um, I mean, because we really don't know how many how many of today's jobs are even going to exist in, you know, 10 years time with the way that technology is advancing and, and everything else that we know. So I would just like to see businesses engaging with people, which is already happening, but much more on individuals terms. So, you know, the way of an employment contract and you know the expectation that you're going to be with an organization and stay with them and you know all of that is important but there is also a kind of push against that right now where people want flexibility and they want to have their side hustles and they want several revenue streams and so we're going to have to find a way forward where there is a a way of coming together on that that you know we can find ways as as organizations and businesses to interact with people in a, in a different way, but also that we can create experiences in companies which which truly do help people to grow. I mean, there's so much, you hear that kind of cliche that people can be themselves at work, which is still, I think we're still quite, actually quite far from that because this new way of being has not been around that long yet for people to feel safe to be themselves at work completely but it is going in that direction so that is also hugely positive so for people to be able to express themselves either creatively or or whichever way that they that they want to within an organization and and that the organization is flexible enough and has enough of the right ingredients and it obviously depends on so many factors as to what those ingredients are that truly does you know make a difference to that individual's life not just because not just relying on the brand name or the the product or other factors which were definitely a big draw in the past and still are today but you know brand is still so important but people i think have now been recognized as the most important factor um they just not every business knows what to do about that or how to really make that a reality. So hopefully more businesses will. And that's part of the work that you're going to be doing, helping them to understand the key that their people actually. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is part of the work I'm, I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of businesses that need policies and procedures, <laughs> which I totally get because we have, we're in a new, we're in a new time now. And so, but yeah, it's 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 shaping that that set of right ingredients to that brand's set of values or that brand's purpose for being. That is what the work that I really enjoy doing, and that I'm hope that I'm hoping is really helping the clients that I'm working with. What's the biggest lesson that you say you have learned? That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the biggest lesson is. Again, it's going to sound like a cliche a bit, but it is also so true that you can be yourself 
and that's okay. And I think I've only really just learned that in the last, probably the last three or four years during the pandemic as well. I know I've kept talking about that, but it was such a, a huge thing that the world went through all, and that we were all kind of connected by um, that during that time, there was no other option than to just be me and, you know, every single people function during that time was suddenly brought to the to the forefront because we were the ones who needed to care for people and support them through this really traumatic time when we didn't know ourselves. I mean, I did not know myself, as no one did, what was going to happen the next day and just being forced to be on Zoom to hundreds of people not really knowing exactly what's going to happen in the world in the next, you know, in the future, even tomorrow, was a really scary thing. And all I could do was be myself and not, you know, you couldn't have masks during that time. So I learned that it's actually okay to be unsure and that you can only be as... compassionate and and heartfelt as you can be <laughs> naturally without having all the answers and that with you know that bit without having all the answers is probably the the key thing there is that leadership of the past was was about having the answers you had to pretend or you know be that leader who 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 could give people what what it was that they needed. But during this time, we didn't have the answers. So I think that's probably the biggest lesson. And since that time, I have continued to be myself more in meetings, in giving presentations, in, you know, being goofy, messing things up, that it's okay, it's okay. And it is a great lesson to have learned because it's a much more freeing way of being. Um without kind of, you know, putting constraints on yourself and overthinking, as you said earlier, and, and just overanalyzing, just turning up. And obviously you need to put effort in, And um, but just turning up and being able to be yourself um, is, is where you, the biggest lesson that I learned. How do you define leadership? I define leadership as trying to find the potential in people and then helping them in whichever way you can to to grow that potential that's how I define leadership um that could be actually letting them go (laughs) and letting them you know move on in their career I really always encourage you know we kept a really amazing team for so long at Gucci Group and then Kering and then Stella McCartney as well but actually when people do move on I find that so beautiful often and and they if they're able to share with you which luckily I felt honored that people were able to share with me I would never take it badly in fact I'd always take it as a as a compliment especially if they're going somewhere incredible and they're really excited about it I think that's a really important factor in the cycle of of leadership letting people go on to the next thing. And when did you know that you were a leader? When I'm with my own team. 
I think when they're, when people are looking to you for whatever reason it might be, actually, whether it's personal, professional, whatever, that's when I know that I'm a leader and that's what actually makes the most difference to me. Um, I don't think I definitely didn't feel like a leader when I was thrown into those rooms full of leaders, <laughs> executives. Um, I definitely didn't feel like a leader then. But, yeah, it's when, it's when I'm with my own team, um, working on great projects and and you know pulling the best things out of the room and out of the conversation and just that's that's when i feel most a leader i just want to say um one i appreciate you just sharing some of your thoughts and that insight but also what you're doing um with nature consultant limited for me it's it's so important. Um, a lot of people know that, especially the work that I do. I'm very much around creating people of profit organizations and cultures. And you're someone who, instead of had the pleasure of getting to know the last couple of years, working together the last couple of years. But I know that you are so heart driven and you can also, you're with people who it's not just about talking about it. You do it like the experience, the the receipts, I'd like to say, are, are there with 20 plus years of, of working in this, in this space. But you're one of those people within this space where it's like, no, it's focused really on creating the right environment and the right conditions for people. Let's focus on looking after the organization, see sustainable change around um, equality, equity, inclusion, belonging. Those are things that are like you've been driving and pushing for for years, even way before the systems came about, or way before it was cool. So it's just, for me, it's, a, it's always a pleasure just to see people working in their purpose and looking at changing things that are currently not working to make things better for the future. And I just appreciate that. Take that. <laughs> Good. Take it, take it all in, take it all in. <laughs> uh, it's been great. It's been really good to share some of these things. Glad to hear it. This is the end of today's episode of Everyday Leadership. Um, if you want more information around Nature Consultant Limited, around Abigail, all that is going to be available in the show notes. Like I said, this is someone that a lot of organizations and leaders need to definitely get involved and work with going forward. Because what she is doing is going to make a massive impact to your organization going forward. So make sure you check her out. And I will see you all next week. While you're still recovering from that amazing conversation, let me give a quick preview of what we got coming up next week. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. My hope is really rooted in the belief I have that we are always capable of finding solutions. We are always capable of offering our best.